You're listening to the Seek Go Create podcast, a part of the SGC network for those looking for excellence, moving towards success, and creating something new. And here's your host, Tim Winders. Welcome to episode three of the Seek Go Create podcast. This episode is titled My Money Roller Coaster. We could also subtitle this My Money Roller Coaster and How I Finally Got Off of It. Just to recap, in previous episodes, I've discussed challenges that we went through when the downturn occurred in 2008. I also went through kind of the spiritual journey that I've been on. And in this episode, I'm going to be discussing more about money, the issues and challenges that I have faced, and discussing some of the things that I just observe related to money in our culture and society. Just to recap previous episodes before we get started, in episode one, we discussed all that went on with our businesses and personally for us when we became homeless and bankrupt after the downturn of 2008. And I also discussed in episode two, my spiritual journey and all that that's meant to me and how significant it's been and the challenges that I overcame there. In this episode, we're going to talk about money. Money is such a challenging topic for most people to discuss. It's almost taboo. It's almost like you can't bring it up. It's everywhere around us. Everything seems to cost money. It costs things. We have to use money to buy, and, and everything is related to money and what we make and all of those things. But we can't really discuss it in the ways that we really need to. We can't ask people what they make, how much they have in the bank, or how much they spend every month. The government wants to know, but we often cannot discuss it with our spouse even. The lack of communication feeds the lack of training, which then adds to the challenge. It is difficult for us to talk about money in our society. It separates us. It divides us. It causes us to judge each other. It causes us to have weird thoughts spiritually and relationally and when we interact with other people, the way we're raised thinking about money impacts us in a positive or negative way. Self-aware people, and we all need to be more self-aware, need to dig down and understand their beliefs about money so that they can understand why they do what they do, why they respond, what their fears are. You know, many times it's difficult for us to admit that money causes many of our reactions and actions with our everyday life. Unfortunately, money causes us to do things that may compromise our belief system, that may make us uncomfortable, that may drive us to do things that we wish we wouldn't do. Money is a powerful force in our current culture, and we really need to discuss it more. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do today on this podcast is just share more about how money has impacted me, good, bad, not so good, and maybe just give some things that I've learned that have helped me and my family just deal with this odd thing we call money. I graduated high school and went to college and entered the workforce in the 80s. I discussed that in previous podcast episodes. Alex P. Keaton, a character on TV played by Michael J. Fox, was an actual role model of mine. 
It was a TV show. I think if I'm remembering this correctly, it was called Growing Pains. And it was one of these sitcoms. I believe it was on during the 80s. And it was kind of an interesting show in that almost all of the family that Michael J. Fox was in, they would be less conservative, more liberal. Um, they were kind of hippies, in fact. I think his parents, if I remember correctly, were hippies. Michael J. Fox, though, during the 80s, in high school, the, his character, he wore a, wore a dress shirt and a tie, and I think he was a big Ronald Reagan fan, and he loved business and wanted to make money, and he was conservative, and some would say maybe a little cold and heartless in the way he went about it, and of course, it created conflict. That's what sitcoms are all about. It created great conflict with his parents, who were hippies, and just believe things in a different way. And of course, it was a funny and interesting show, but I guess if there was someone that would have best described me during the 80s, Alex P. Keaton may have been that description. I can't say that I wore ties to high school and things, even though I did from time to time, but I was going to be successful. I was going to make money. That was my goal. That was what I was shooting for. And I didn't say I wanted to be cold and heartless as I went about doing it, but I don't know that it really bothered me if I had to. I just wanted to be successful. In fact, that had a big impact on what I decided to do when I graduated from high school and chose college. I, I read, I think it was the U.S. News and World Report, the report that they did in the early 80s, or they do it every year, I'm sure. But it was the report they did that listed out the top five or the top most in-demand jobs, highest paying jobs, whatever it was called. And what was interesting was that four out of the top five were engineering positions. And I was growing up just outside of the Atlanta area. Georgia Tech was one of the top engineering schools, still is. And it was in downtown Atlanta, not far from where I was. And so the only place that I applied for college and the only thing that I really considered doing was going to Georgia Tech and becoming an engineer because I had read an article that said, engineers are in demand. As I spent time at Georgia Tech, I began to realize that I probably wasn't really cut out to be an engineer. I didn't really have the, the necessarily the personality. I did have a little bit of a technical mindset, and I was pretty good in math and science, but I would not be considered super bright or super detailed in those two areas. I'm probably one that would be more a generalist, more, more one that wanted to be a manager or leader or oversee type things. So I immediately ran into challenges with attempting to get an engineering degree at Georgia Tech. I started out as an electrical engineer and quickly learned how challenging that was. Georgia Tech is a very difficult school. I moved over and became an industrial engineer, which had a little bit more management and business. And that is what I ended up getting my degree in. I will tell you that my time at Georgia Tech was one of the toughest times I've ever had. I joke with people that I crammed four years of education into six years to get my degree. That is a slight exaggeration because I co-opted and worked. And I actually also started a company and a business while I was at Georgia Tech. And I made pretty good money while I was there. In fact, I've joked at times that during my time in college, I had more money in my pocket as I did later in life when I was actually working and had businesses and companies. So I was going to be a business person early on, 
I somewhat thought that I was an entrepreneur. I'm not sure that many of us truly understand what an entrepreneur is. Many of us just call ourselves that and use it as an excuse to just do multiple things until we find something we like. But I did start a business. It did pretty well. And it did have an impact on the way I, I thought about what I wanted to do in life. Another thing about the way I grew up before I move on is I want to talk about the mentality or the mindset of the household I grew up in, the area, the geography I grew up in. All of that impacts our attitude towards money and material things and how we live, how we judge other people. The best way I can say it is is that I grew up with what I would call a just above average money mindset in our household. We, we wanted to do well, and my parents did well. Both my parents were educators, and we never seemed to do without, but I think both my parents would even say that we never really made, they never made a lot of money when I was growing up and in the household. We always did okay, and maybe did just a little bit above okay. And that was kind of the mindset that I think that we had. And in fact, it seems as if there were many times that the message I got, and again, I'm not saying that this is what my parents said necessarily, but it just seemed as if the message that I got was, we want to do well, but we don't want to be too well so people don't think we're too good. And some of you may understand that and relate to it. Some of you may not. But that's kind of the mindset that I felt as if I was, I was working with or working against as I attempted to succeed later in life. I always would somewhat rest when I thought I was doing better than others around me. Now, of course, there's a lot of messages to that. We could talk about who you surround yourself with. We could talk about what does okay mean? What does just above okay mean? And there's all kind of variables to that, but I'm just sharing kind of the mindset that I, I believe that I had growing up. I wanted, I think I desired to be way above average, but I always had this nagging, we don't want to be too good voice in my head. You know, being from the South, we would say, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to be, you know, a big shot or you don't want to you know, get the big head or whatever. There's all kind of terms people use. And those are the voices that start creeping in if and when later in life you start seeing some success. And for many people, it could lead to sabotage. I am not sure if it did that with me. We may discuss that shortly, but it can do that. So those are some of the some of the voices and some of the mindsets that I had about money. And again, some of you may relate to them. Some of, that you, some of you may not. Some of you could have grown up in a very impoverished household that, you know, money was something you were always working towards having enough to eat or have clothing. And, you know, in many ways, you probably have different voices in your head or it could be fears that that you have. I, I know I know in some households and, and I know my wife and I have discussed this in hers that that there was potentially always a thought that what was hers wasn't necessarily hers, that it could be taken from her. And, 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 and in some ways that 
made her mindset that she always wanted to guard and protect anything that she had. I never really had that thought, but we've had discussions about how that impacts our various mindsets about money. And of course, there's some people listening in on this that you may have grown up with more than enough. You may have grown up with an abundance mindset. And it may be that that money was never an issue for you. And that could have been good. It could have not been good. I'm not sure. But regardless of all that, what I'm really wanting to do with this is just really I'm going to ask some questions, kind of poke at and and really, really try to get us thinking more about money. And then I'll just share as we wrap up here some thoughts and and some tips or ideas that that I've seen that have helped me and, you know, might be helpful to you also. I know many of us have odd mindsets or different mindsets about money. Some of you may have lived in a state of abundance. Some of you may have lived in an impoverished or lack of money mindset. I've already shared that ours was was okay. I mean, I guess we would be defined as middle class, maybe just a smidge under or smidge at middle class. We kind of always thought we were a little over that, but we did very well. And and I never thought much about it growing up. I just had this thought that I wanted to do very well financially. And that kind of drove me as I started going to school and working in business and wanting to have my own businesses and and then started doing things like wanting to impress other people and, and things like that. And none of those are necessarily healthy. I'll talk about those shortly. Having said all of those things, I, I think something that would be interesting to do here is just ask some questions to get us to get us thinking, just to kind of till the soil a little bit so that we can begin asking ourselves, what are our mindsets and thoughts about money? One question that comes to mind is this, does money control you or do you control money? You know, I heard it said for years that the people that really think about money the most are the people that have the least. I don't know that that's an absolute statement, but I do know that when money has been tight for myself and my household, that in many ways I thought about money probably more than when we've had certain amounts in our bank account and we've been comfortable. So I do think there's some degree of truth to that question of does money control you or do you control money? And let me just go ahead and say this, and some of you may have heard this, you know, money is really it's kind of indifferent. It it doesn't have a personality or any magical powers or anything like that. It really is just a tool that we use in society to exchange for goods and services. And in many ways, it's become much bigger than that. We measure success. We We measure how well we're doing. We measure ourselves as a society and a culture and a country by how well we're doing financially. So, you know, maybe it's become bigger than it should. Maybe it hasn't. I don't know. But the question that I think we should always ask is, does money control us or do we control money? I believe that it's very healthy if we position ourselves where we have more control over it than it has control over us. Another observation about money that we need to ask ourselves is, how does our mindset or thought process about money impact our relationships our marriage, 
our business partnerships, the spiritual environment that we're in. You know, one of the good things and then also challenging things about my marriage of over 30 years to my wife is that we did grow up in a similar cultural, I guess, environment. We both were from the South. We both grew up in Georgia. And there were there were ways that households and families somewhat operated in that part of the country that was kind of standard. I know there were differences and variations and everyone's situation is a little bit different, but we did have a way that that culture dealt with money and and relationships. And that obviously had an impact on how we dealt with money and how we discussed it. Money also impacts our relationships and the people we hang out with and the people we're around. I know that for myself, early on when I was coming out of Georgia Tech, starting to work, that we had groups of friends around us and and all of them were doing well. I don't think any of us were just doing great, but in many ways, I'm sure, and I'm not necessarily saying this is a good thing, that I would compare myself to them and and the cars that they drove and houses they were in. And this is what a lot of people were doing in the late 80s. I don't know that that is culturally the same. I think it's still part of our culture, but during that time, we compared ourselves to others. And I think all people know that if you spend a lot of time comparing yourself to other people and allowing what other people think about you to dictate how you act, how you respond, what you buy, what you own, then it's going to spill over in a very strong way to your money, how well you save, what you spend, your debt levels. And that can definitely lead to something that can not be healthy when it comes to money. Money is also important when it comes to business partnerships and business relationships. There's a scripture that I'll refer to and maybe discuss later that you can't serve two masters. It's in Matthew 6 that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and you can't serve mammon. And one of the things that's been interesting to me as I've gone back and reflected on some business partnerships that have gone well and some that haven't gone well is that Mammon is that word. A lot of people say that's exactly money when they talk about that spiritual, that scripture, but it's not exactly that. Mammon is our thoughts on possessions and I guess things of the world, which is money and possessions and houses and cars and all those type things. And one of the things I've noticed that creates conflict in business partnerships is if you partner with someone who has a different mindset, even if they have spiritual background, the same spiritual background you have, if they, different, if they have a different mindset um, in that category of mammon, of possessions and money, then it could create conflict. may not create conflict when there's an abundance of money coming into the business, but one of the things I noticed was that it created some challenges when things got tight, when money was less available, when the economy got challenging for us, then those differences were magnified and it did make the partnership more difficult. And of course, another place that money is so difficult to even discuss or bring up or even have the conversation is within spiritual environments, churches, and when people start talking about spiritual type things and all of those, all of those areas are so difficult for people to bring up money. I'm not going to do it in this 
podcast episode, but later we may talk about the tithe versus giving and money and the church and all of those things that I know are going to make a lot of people excited or upset or whatever. I'll probably step on some toes there. But when you start talking about money and relating it to church and God and all of those things, then we know that there's some there's some real issues that can come up there. Now what I want to do is I want to look at just some of the, I guess some of the challenges that I had personality or from the way I was raised or some spiritual philosophies. And I just want to bring them up. I don't necessarily have answers for them. I want to bring them up because some of you may deal with or have some of the same type things, or you might know some people that you want to share this with and, you know, say, Hey, listen to this guy. He's got issues just like you or something like that. And, um, the thing I've already mentioned is one of the biggest ones we've already talked about. Does money control you or do you control money? And that is such an important question that I've continually had to ask myself. And I'll share more later about how I've attempted to address that and work through it and and try to keep it at bay and not let money rear up and take control over me. Another I guess, concept or something that was, was something that I had to address, address was that I always thought that I could just make more money. And I'm not sure where this came from, but even when I was working in the corporate world and you had a fixed amount of money that came in every two weeks, for some reason, I just always thought that I would get raises, promotions, and so that sometime in the near future, we would have more money coming into our household. When we started in businesses, we had a multi-level marketing business that that one really fed that issue that I had and that I always thought that we were going to reach different levels of success in the very near future, probably fooling myself thinking that. But I always thought that we could spend money now because we were going to make more in the future. And then even when we started our other companies in real estate and coaching, I just always thought that we were going to be experiencing growth. Anyone that's wise can immediately see the challenge in that. And for those that are married or you have a spouse or a partner, you also can recognize that that can cause a real challenge in a household. And I know it did. It created conflicts with my wife. My wife would do things like she would tuck money aside because she knew that if I knew we had it, I would want to get it and invest it or put it into our business or spend it or something like that. And so wisely now and looking back, she would tuck money away and she would put it aside just in the event that, you know, her hero, me, her husband, spent every dime we had, she wanted to be able to have some money for food and those type things. And I don't know, I've, I've maybe put some thought into why I had that mindset. It was misguided. I do not think it was good, but I'm just sharing what I had because I think many times entrepreneurs and business people are guilty of that in thinking that we can always make more. We can always make more 
or something is going to break through or bust loose so that money just flows in and everything's going to be okay. And my experience has been that that's one of those situations where we fool ourselves if we operate and spend money in that way. Another thing that was interesting, and this is something I'm not even sure that I could really pinpoint, is that I almost felt as if I had a special privilege or ability or a superpower or something that would allow me to make more money or to improve my financial situation or that I, I deserved more money when it came to getting raises or working in businesses. And I, I don't know if that was arrogance. I don't know if it was that entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know if it was a bit of a, a bulletproof part of me that I just thought that I could always overcome situations, but I'm just kind of sharing it in the event that someone out there has the same thought. I know some people listening to this are going, I have no idea what you're talking about because for me, I never felt like I earned or deserved money. And I, I understand that the feeling that one deserves bunch of money is probably different than your thought process, but I'm just sharing it because that was the way I thought. And I could tell you it caused a lot of challenges and issues because that is not a good mindset to have. And what that leads to is a practical issue. And that is I was never able to save money, never able to set money aside. I was always spending more than I made. I always thought that this would stretch me, that I would always be working harder and, and working towards bringing more in and growing our businesses and growing and doing new things. And so what happened is, and this was especially in our early married time as we were building some of our businesses then, and then even to some extent later, because we saw businesses growing, never really put the amount of money aside that we needed to. We did some and and we did it just kind of, I did it half-heartedly, but it never allowed for any savings to occur. And that's going to be significant later when I mention some things that have been significant for what we're seeing now with what our, what's happening with our lifestyle and our financial picture. But we were always, always working from a not having much in saving standpoint. And I thought, again, that that was just what an entrepreneur did. Misguided, not correct. Don't fall into that trap. It's very difficult to discuss money without discussing possessions and what money buys us. I pursued money. I chased money. I was going after money in many ways. Now, of course, one of the things that I really liked was just building businesses and putting forth the effort, but I did like what those businesses brought. So I pursued that. I mean, I enjoyed that. That was really what was my drug, probably. I mean, a lot of people may have addictions and some of those addictions are, you know, maybe healthy and some are unhealthy, like if it's a, a drug or alcohol or different things like that. My drug was building and growing businesses 
in in the expectation they were going to spin off money so that we could buy things. That was that was it. And I'm I'm probably oversimplifying that, and I might be emphasizing it a little bit more just in this episode where we are talking about money. But I do believe that that was a root issue with some of the things that I dealt with. And listen, I shared it earlier. I felt as if it was important to to impress other people. And, and I know that that's an issue for a lot of others. I thought it was important for people to see me in a nice car and in a nice home and nice furniture. And I wanted to dress a certain way. And I will say that, that life has changed me quite a bit. And I want to remind everyone that I'm currently recording this from the passenger seat of an RV that is an older RV that my wife and I bought and gutted, and now we live in full-time. And we have no real estate in possession, no homes, and we travel very light and with a very low overhead. So I have, I believe, been purged of that, but I only share that to say that I believe that that was part of the issues that I dealt with in related in, in relation to money was that I pursued it, what it can buy, and I wanted what it could buy so that I can impress others. And many people have heard it said, if you spend your life trying to buy things to impress others, then um, it's going to be a very empty and shallow place to be. So anyway, that, that was not good, but that's that's part of some root issues that I just wanted to share here. And then finally, of course, is that I judged other people by their perceived financial status. I would look around as a business person and I would say, okay, look at our business. It's doing this and others is not necessarily doing that. So we must be doing better. And if you recall, I talked about when I was growing up, part of what we wanted to do was be a little bit better than those around us. And, and that is a little bit of that mindset. You know, I wanted a house that was a little nicer. I wanted things that were a little bit nicer. And I'll tell you, I mean, most of you know this, is that that is a very, very ugly wheel to get on because it's it's a never-ending cycle that you can never win or get to a place of peace or rest or relaxation. And that is definitely the place that, that I was in. And, and I'm thankful now that we've purged a lot of that, moved off of that, and so I just wanted to address a lot of those items before we kind of move on and begin wrapping up with a, a segment I'll just kind of called what I've learned so far. Not anything definitive, not saying this is what works, this is what not works. I'm just going to share some things that I've learned so far. Before I share some of those things that have, I believe, in, impacted our financial lives and helped get us off of that that hamster wheel of just trying to get, trying to get, chasing after money, trying to, you know, get enough in our accounts to survive and live. Before I talk about that, I guess I just wanted to share a little bit of, I guess, our last few years, and this is not to boast or anything like that, but we have really gotten to the point where we have become what many would call minimalist. We kind of like the term essentialist. With all the challenges we went through during the downturn, we got rid of, sold, lost, whatever you want to say, almost all of our possessions. And we have very few, if any, 
possessions right now. We own one vehicle. We've got the RV. We've got one small storage unit with a couple of things in it. And then everything else we carry with us. That's it. We don't own a bunch of things and stuff. We don't have large wardrobes necessarily. Um, my wife has a very minimalist small wardrobe for most females. And and myself, I've got one small narrow closet that has every bit of my clothing in that. And that's pretty much our stuff. And we have a very low overhead lifestyle. And we learned a lot of that from the downturn and living what we call a nomad nomad life. We'll talk more about the exact the exact details of how we did a lot of that in future podcasts, but we live again very essentialist, very minimalist, low overhead. And you know, it is extremely liberating and very much a blessing for us. We do have money in the bank. I'm not going to mention amounts and all that, but just let me just say that we're comfortable with that. We're excited about having the ability to bless other people. We're excited about being able to do what we're doing now. And we're we're really at a place of rest and peace. And we just don't have much anxiety about things in that financial area like we once did. And like I can say we did for most of our married life together. So having said that, let's kind of wrap up with just what I'll call what I've learned so far. And I do want to emphasize so far, this is not definitive. You know, don't make this more than you have to. Some of you might enjoy some of these things. Some of you might say, Tim, that makes so much sense. I can't believe you're even saying it. And I'll just respond in saying it's just unfortunate that common sense is not that common in our society or that I thought I was a fairly smart guy and obviously I didn't get it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it in the event that someone might get something from it. The first thing that I want to say, I referenced this scripture from Matthew 6 earlier, and that is, and this is an important thing. This is kind of foundational with this issue of money, or I'm about to reference mammon or stuff or things. And that is that scripture that says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and you cannot serve mammon. You can only serve one or the other. And one of the things I've said all along is that, you know, I believe that I had a spiritual relationship with with my father, with God, and and I was a follower of Christ. But yet when it came to business and money, I put those high on a pedestal and they were important to me. And I chased after them and I went after them. And I just want to say here that what I realized, what I was, was that I, I just want to say here is that I realized that I was attempting to serve both masters. I wanted to love the Lord part-time, and then I wanted to love money and chase after it part-time. And foundationally, that is impossible to do. So if you're listening in on this and you've struggled in these areas, you've had some of the challenges I've discussed, 
I'll just ask you to ask that question. Are you trying to serve two masters? Are you serving both? Are you thinking about money much more than you're thinking about your spiritual walk? And, and that could be even if you have very little money or if you're challenged with housing or if you're homeless or a nomad like we once were. You may be serving the wrong master. So that's something that, that I've learned that I had to really evaluate and that I have to constantly make sure that I am serving the master that I choose to serve. Another thing that is a, I guess, a lesson learned is that money and stuff will either control you or you will control it. We discussed this earlier. You have to decide what's going to control you. And I will tell you that everything in our culture wants you to spend, get in debt, accumulate, and keep doing that over and over again. It is a vicious, ugly, difficult cycle if one allows that to take hold and take root in their lives. Because all of our advertising, everything in our, I'll call it our first world culture, our Americanized, or I mean, this is really all over the world. We spent time in Australia and New Zealand and in Europe, and they have, they have similar cultures. I will say that for those listening to this in America, we do it better than everyone. We have the advertising, we have the marketing, we have the stuff. When you go into the stores, there are more choices to spend your money on than any place in the world. And everything about that world wants you to spend, spend, spend. In fact, you'll even hear it said, our economy, the economy of our country is based on people continuing to spend. If we ever went into a savings mode in our culture, the economy, we're told, will grind to a halt. They need people to spend money. We have to make the choice, and it's a tough choice because it's tough to do. We have to make the choice to not participate in that culture, that environment, and I'll tell you right up front, it's difficult to do. You are swimming against the stream if you decide that you're not going to buy the latest greatest, that you're not going to fill up your house, your garage, storage units with stuff. You, you have to live differently. People will not understand. They'll criticize you. But in the end, just trust me on this, it'll be so liberating, extremely liberating. The next item that I want to mention is something that we'll probably discuss in more detail. In fact, I'm probably going to talk about this, teach on it, and then also interview some people related to this. And it's something related to the item that I just mentioned. And it's something that is foreign to most of us. And this is the principle that I've come to believe in. And that is this. We are called to be stewards not owners. Stewards, not owners. And let me explain that because there are many people that that might be, that that might sound foreign to you or weird or just, what are you talking about, Tim? Everything in our society says that we are to own as much as we can possibly own and whoever owns the most wins in many ways. 
back to what I said earlier, we compare ourselves to others. Money is a measure. Stuff is a measure. And whoever owns the most seems to win the game. The challenge is, and we all know this, we've heard it said, you can't take it with you once you pass away or move on to the next life or upon your demise. You can't take all the houses, cars, stuff, clothes, whatever, whatever the, whatever the things are. So the, the more I've thought about it, reviewed it, studied it scripturally, and I'll talk more about this in, in some other episode, I truly believe that we basically have the honor of taking care of certain things while we're on this earth. And we're to be stewards of those things and not concern ourselves with ownership as much as we do. It's not necessarily a game to see how many houses we can own. At one point, our business, we had over 100 pieces of real estate, so I'm not I'm not ignorant to what it's like to own a lot of real estate or at least control it. Cars, houses, all those type things. But I, I really believe that stewardship is something that we need to think more about and, and understand that there's more significance to being a steward and a caretaker of things than to actually own things. Now, I know for a fact that that is contrary to what a large percentage of people believe, and I'm okay with that, and we can discuss it, and hopefully we can discuss it in a civil way, but I, I truly am becoming to believe that more and more, and as I use that principle in the way that I live, it's just, it's just very interesting how, how nice it is to think that way. So anyway, I believe that we're called to be stewards not owners. The final principle, I guess, that I want to discuss is something that that we and our family have come to call the storehouse principle. It's not new to us, but the storehouse principle is very simple. It actually piggybacks on what I just mentioned, and that is that we're stewards, not necessarily owners. And that is, anytime a dollar comes into our household, we put money aside. And I know some of you will say, well, that sounds like savings. And it really kind of looks like savings. I mean, if we put 10% in a bank account and it's like a savings account, it looks like savings. But we call it storehouse because it has more of a spiritual principle than just a savings principle. And I'll talk more about this also in future podcasts. But let me just say this. The storehouse principle has been probably the most significant practical application for us that has grown, I believe, we believe, has grown our financial status or grown our financial picture. And I will say this, I shared earlier about my thought process about savings and the way I approach things, and my wife was much more diligent with that. As we were coming out of our time that we were nomads, we had no revenue coming in, we would get little bits and pieces here or there as either miracles or manna. And those things came into our finances and our our bank accounts. My wife, if a dollar came in, she would take a percentage and put it in an account that we call our storehouse. She also would take a percentage and put it in another account that we had as a storehouse that we were setting it aside for our children that were grown now in case we ever needed to help them with things. And then we did that with other areas. So 
what we were basically doing was living off of much less than, than we had coming in. And of course, we had really lowered our lifestyle. And then the other piece to that is, is that it set aside money so that for us, and this is a spiritual type thing, we said it's not ours. We're just being stewards of it. So we're going to set it aside. And we're only going to do things with it if we feel as if God is instructing us. And so the storehouse principle, along with all these other things, have been significant for us in our lives. And as we wrap up on this podcast, I just, first of all, I want to thank you for listening. I'm My hope is, and my desire is that by us discussing these topics, that is getting you thinking, it's ministering to you in some way. And as people that might be operating in the business world or running your own business and Maybe you have a faith or your faith is is growing that you're able to just consider these things and that my journey and me going through some of these things and sharing this in a very candid, transparent way helps you in some way. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. We'll be talking about these topics on future episodes. If, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, I would ask that you rate it on the podcast platform that you listen to and share it. That would be helpful to us just so we can get the word out. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Seek, Go, Create podcast, a part of the SGC network. For those looking for excellence, moving towards success and creating something new. We are constantly discussing bold new topics and ideas here on the network. So be sure to subscribe to be notified when we post new episodes. We look forward to sharing more with you next time, but until then, enjoy the journey.